Welcome to A Course in Miracles, Living the Love, Walking the Talk, with Rev. Jennifer Hadley, a beloved teacher of the Course, who has helped thousands learn how to express their beliefs from moment to moment in their everyday lives. Get ready to focus on your intent to be the love, be the peace, through practical application. Here is your host, Rev. Jennifer Hadley. Hey, 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 good morning. I have a wonderful guest treat for you today. Alan Cohen will be joining with him in just a moment. And as we always do, I like to start us off with a prayer and a blessing. Yes, we're going to invoke the Holy Spirit into our awareness as we always do. It just make, everything goes better with the invoke. Not with Coke, but with with the invoke of the Holy Spirit. Okay, what can I say? It's it's not that funny today. But um, prayer is serious business. No, I'm just kidding. It's not serious business. It's lighthearted business. And I feel very lighthearted to have Alan on on the show with us today. So I invite you to place your hand on your heart. And let's get that light flowing in the heart there. Oh, so grateful and so thankful that love is all that there is. Love is all that that we are. So grateful and thankful to partner up with the higher Holy Spirit self. Our true nature, our true identity is perfect love. We are the perfect givers and receivers of love. This is the divine design. So in this very moment, we're recognizing I am that I am. And I am one with the I am presence of every being everywhere. So grateful and so thankful right now to call upon the Holy Spirit to do the heavy lifting. We're grateful and thankful to no longer go it alone, to join together for more peace, more love, more joy, more harmony. And what I know particularly today is that in this moment now, we're opening ourselves to an understanding of the teachings in A Course in Miracles where it's made easy, it's simple, it's clear. Our mind is open and available for the clarity. We're consciously choosing to release anything that could obstruct the clarity and the purity of these teachings from being known in our heart and in our mind. We're truly choosing to live a course of miracles. In grace and gratitude, we share the benefits. Benefits with all beings because we're one with them. In gratitude, we let it be, and so it is. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Whew. Well, uh, as I said, I have Alan Cohen here with me. Hi, Alan. Hello, Jennifer. Delighted <laughs> to be with you, as always. Yeah. So uh, we're, we're uh, doing a Hawaii thing today. Alan's on the Big Island and uh, I'm on Kauai, where Alan used to live. So uh, we're sending you some sunshine and uh, warm weather from Kauai. And Alan has written many books. I, I know we, we all know and love Alan's work. Uh, some of his more popular uh, books, The Dragon Doesn't Live Here Anymore, and uh, uh, Handle with Prayers, a beautiful one. Uh, I had it all the time. So many really great, great, helpful books. A very practical application of spiritual teachings. And his latest book is so, uh, it's, it's so completely what it says it is. So it's entitled, A Course in Miracles Made Easy, Mastering the Journey from Fear to love. And of course, this is what we're interested in. This is what living a Course in Miracles really is. So I'm very grateful to have Alan with us today to help us understand how a Course in Miracles can be made easy. And so, Alan, as we're talking about making a Course in Miracles easy, there's, for me, there's a kind of a, a switch that you have to flip in your mind because many people find A Course in Miracles extremely complex or um, difficult to understand. But there's, it doesn't have to be that way. I, I don't experience it that way. And clearly you don't experience it that way either. So what is that 
switch that we can flip in our mind to make it so much easier to live it. Well, you know, if God wanted you to be healed and have a happy, holy, joyful life, do you really think he, she, it would make it difficult and complicated and complex and abstruse? And the answer is no. And um, I, and I've been teaching and writing the co- and working with the Course for many years, and one of the most common things I've heard is that, oh, I know the Course is great, but I bought it years ago and it just sat on my shelf, and it, I can't get through the lessons, and I don't understand the tome, and on and on and on. And one one lady said that she um, she took it off her shelf for the first time after she purchased it, and the receipt fell out, and it was ten years earlier that she had purchased it. <laughs> and then my friend Robert Holden said, "The Course in Miracles is the only book that's been purchased by millions and read by only a few." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, these are jokes, but they're, I mean, actually they're true. But, um, you know, I, I got tired of hearing people say it's too hard because it's not. So I thought maybe I could make a contribution and boil the course down to its simplest, easiest, most heart-centered, most joyful, most fun elements, and then let people start from the easy way in rather than a difficult way out. So... That's what I did with the book. I have a lot of good feedback that it's practical and humorous and down to earth. And so it's really stripping away the density and boiling it down to its essential, simple message of the heart. Yeah, you really have. And one of the wonderful things about the book that I really appreciate is you have so many stories of how how it... it, it uh, is a practical application and uh, how to make this shift in identity from one who thinks they're the body and separate from God to recognizing or remembering that we're part of God, we're one with God. Yeah. And uh, those stories, I think, really make it come alive. I wonder if she would share one of the stories from the book that you think. Yeah, sure. Uh, and, you know, you're making a really good point, Jennifer, that it's it's easy to sit around and talk about the Holy Spirit and atonement and the universe and life and death, but, you know, it's really in the daily life where the rubber meets the road, and, and that's where the Course was meant to be practiced in daily life. So I'll tell you my favorite story from the book. Um, my mother was a typical Jewish mother, she wanted mm. me to get married, but I didn't. <laughs> she, was, <laughs> she was great, but very Jewish, and, um, and very Jewish. And um, she, uh, when I first got onto the spiritual path many years ago, I really became a devotee of Jesus, not the religious Jesus, but the spiritual Jesus that you and I know. And so I taped a little picture of Jesus on the dashboard of my car. And my mother getting into the car was not pleased as punch as a Jewish mother to find Jesus as my co-pilot. So she used to make fun of it, and she would, like, talk to it and tap it and say, oh, Jesus, were you cold out here last night? Would you like me to knit you a sweater? And, and she would just go on. And I realized it bugged her. So I thought, well, why bug her if I don't need to? So I took the picture, and I put it in a glove box, and I figured if Jesus was who he said he was, he really wouldn't mind. And my mother seemed happier from that point when she got in my car. Hmm. Well, a couple weeks later, I went to visit her, and uh, as I walked into her house on the dining room table, I saw something I had never seen before in a Jewish household. I saw a picture of a Catholic saint. (laughs) And I said, Mom... Where did you get that? And she said, oh, you know, I was at a garage sale and I thought you would like it. Wow. And I was stopped in my tracks because I had been teaching yoga and meditation and talking about unconditional love. But that was the realest demonstration of unconditional love I had ever seen to that time, maybe in my whole life, because she was willing to step out of her belief system and her whole identity as a Jewish mother and do something that she thought would make me happy. And uh, you know, the Course talks about a holy relationship, and it's a special relationships are the ones in which you try to get other people to do what you want them to do, and holy relationships are the ones in which you join and meet on common ground and serve and connect and support. So from my Jewish mother, I learned the deepest lesson 
of what a holy relationship is. And I remember that for many years now. Yeah, it's a beautiful story. And while we're on the subject of holy relationship, Course in Miracles, one of the most helpful teachings in A Course in Miracles is on the topic of holy relationship and special relationship. So people who are listening to this broadcast might not, uh, they don't always know the details of A Course in Miracles. So special relationship is ego-based, holy relationship is spirit-based or love-based. And part of our journey in this life is to transform our relationships or allow them to be transformed. And it's that willingness that you demonstrated out of respect for your mother, not needing to teach her or shove something in her face. I think that's so critical because this is a question people have a lot of the time, Alan. And as you well know, is when am I being true to myself and when am I maybe capitulating to others to try and get them to like me? How do you know that difference? How did you know the, the difference there in that moment? Well, you know, the, it's pretty simple. Uh, the ego always makes you feel worse. It gives you kind of a rush of I'm getting something in the moment, but eventually you don't feel so good. And, you know, it's like it's, the, the spirit and the ego have two different frequencies. People really like this analogy. Let's say that your best friend is named Susan, and someone who's not Susan calls you up one day and says, hi, this is Susan, I really need to talk to you. Meet me at Starbucks in an hour. And the question is, would you go? And the answer is, of course not, because you know Susan's voice, you know her energy, you know her frequency. And even if somebody says, I am Susan, if you're not, if she's not, you would know it. And let's say the real Susan calls you an hour later, doesn't even say her name, but says, hey, I need to talk to you, meet me at Starbucks in an hour. Would you go? And the answer is you would because you know Susan's voice. So the analogy is that the ego has a certain frequency, there's a certain vibration to it. There's a demandingness and an impatience, impatience and, a, and a me, 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 and get, 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 and worry, 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 and protect, 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 protect defense, defense, defense. And there's kind of a whole frequency that goes along with it. On the other hand, the voice of spirit is soothing and it brings you relief and release and it lets your soul rest and you you feel inner peace. And so what I've learned to do over many years, I'm not always successful, but this is the direction I'm headed, is to try relationships and invitations and choices on for size and I feel the frequency of them. Where does it sit in me? Does it sit in my head? Does it sit in my ego? Does it sit in my heart and my spirit? And after a while, you get to see that spirit really nourishes you at a deep level. And the ego voice is, seems to be nourishing, but it's more irritating and, and, and demanding than it is releasing and joyful. So that's, that's how I discern between those two different kinds of relationships. Very, very helpful, very well said. And what I remember from your story about your mom and the the Jesus in the car is she didn't ask you to do something different, did she? Well, she didn't ask she you. Did she, did she ask you well, to put she, it away? Or? Well, she implied that she didn't like it. But right. ultimately, you know, she got over that. And, and when I saw the uh, saint picture in her house... In that moment, she didn't say it verbally, but she was saying, I sure love you as you are. You don't need to change for me, and I really want to support you in being who you are rather than who I want you to be. And that's, that was the healing moment. Yeah, that's tremendous, absolutely tremendous. And so, because this kind of experience we all have a billion times in our life where someone we love, someone we're close to, someone who whether it's egotistical or not, we'd like them to be happy. We'd like them to approve of us or be happy in our presence and um, appreciate us and all of these kinds of things that we like to have in relationship. And oftentimes when, let's say, you know, your mom gets in the car, she's not that happy about seeing the picture, 
a lot of times the tendency is to go off on an ego rampage. I don't have to please her and, oh, she's judging me and all of that. And that takes us in a totally different direction. But the willingness to just sit there and say, she's not that happy about that. She's telling me that. Yeah, she's making a plane, but she's not on a tirade of what I should and shouldn't do. She's just saying how she feels and sometimes when people just say how they feel it's so threatening to us we can't handle it and we make them wrong and bad and yeah i can yeah so just that happens so often i wonder if you could just take this opportunity to talk about when that dynamic comes up how to recognize it and how to get out of it well it's a really good question we all face it daily and the question is you know, what really matters? And that little picture of Jesus was just a piece of paper. It represented something, but the something it represented was based in love, not fear and resistance. And so there's a line in the Course that's very challenging, but actually it's one of the most helpful lines in the Course. It says, if your brother asks you to do something outrageous, do it because it doesn't matter. So if she and I were to get over in a fight over a little picture, we would both be Velcroing or interlocking on something that doesn't matter. And what really matters is love. And in that moment, I decided that love was more important than having a particular picture on my dashboard. And I actually, I just had another, uh, can I give you another example of this, Jennifer? Yes, yeah. I was teaching a retreat for a group of Japanese people, and one lady was very distressed because um, her father had died, his remaining parent, and he had, you know, Japanese people have a very lovely custom. They have altars in their home mm-hmm. to their ancestors, photos and incense and flowers. It's a lovely custom. And the brothers, her two brothers were fighting over who was going to get the altar in their house. Mm. And she was uh, troubled because she didn't know if she should part, uh, side with one of them or take the altar herself or what. And I said, there's a big mistake here. I said, the altar is just a thing. I said, the true altar is the spirit of love that lives in your family. And if people are fighting over the physical altar, They have defiled the spiritual altar. So I said, anything you can do to just let them do what they want or love them anyway or tell them it's not important, anything you can do to affirm that the real altar is the harmony and the the kindness and the cooperation, that will settle the issue. But as long as you're fighting over a thing, you've missed the whole point. So uh, things are not the same as spirit, and we get all involved in the frame rather than the picture as as the course says so i hope that's a good illustration oh that is a wonderful illustration and i can feel it's particularly timely for people because i hear from many uh, folks that they're having exactly these kinds of conversations with their siblings over their parents and their parents possessions and the homes and all of these things it's Uh, Every day offers these beautiful ways to practice. And we'll talk about more of them when we come back here. It's time for us to go to a break. I'm Jennifer Hadley, and my guest today is author Alan Cohen, and he has a beautiful new book, which I strongly encourage you to go and get. It is exactly what it says it is, A Course in Miracles Made Easy, Mastering the Journey from Fear to Love. And truly, whether you're a longtime Course in Miracles student or a newbie, you're going to find this book is very enriching and practical for your life, a great thing to share in A Course in Miracles study groups. So, you're listening to A Course in Miracles on Unity Online Radio, where we are living the love, we're walking the talk, and we'll be right back. Thank you for tuning in for A Course in Miracles, living the love, walking the talk. Get ready to focus on your intent to be the love, be the peace through practical application as we return to A Course in Miracles, Living the Love, Walking the Talk. 
Welcome back. I'm Jennifer Hadley, and my guest today is author Alan Cohen, who has a powerful and really helpful, truly helpful new book, A Course of Miracles Made Easy. And it really is about exactly what it says, mastering the journey from fear to love. And any Course of Miracles student who's been at this for a while knows that uh, it's always helpful to hear people's stories of how they apply these teachings and get out of our intellect and into our heart. And that's exactly what Alan Cohen is a master at. So I'm very grateful to have him here today and to uh, to talk about uh, the book and so you know Alan we also get a number of people who are just listening to our radio show without actually studying A Course in Miracles they they like this show and they like the conversations about spiritual truth and, and the, the stories that I often tell about um, my own experience and in in, in this book, Course in Miracles Made Easy, what would you say is the, the main tool that someone can practice if they never even crack A Course in Miracles, just the main tool that they can take with them moment by moment to help them practice, to make, help them really stay in their heart? That's a very good question and a very simple answer, Jennifer. The main tool is that the Course says that there's only two emotions, only two human experiences, fear and love. And all the other dark emotions like anger and depression and upset all come from fear, and all the lighter emotions, freedom, joy, creativity, healing, come from love. So the best tool, really the only tool you ever need to practice on the Course if you want to really simplify it, is to recognize that every thought Every word, every action represents a choice between fear and love. And fear doesn't feel good and it doesn't work, and love feels great, and it works. So I would invite anybody, whether they have a decision to make, who should I marry, should I get divorced, should I stay in my job, should I move to Sedona, should I buy this car, should I speak up to my boss, really try the decision on for size and ask yourself, what is fear telling me to do? And what would love tell me to do? And if I were to really choose in favor of love, what would I be choosing? And and really, I, I really mean this quite quite honestly. That if somebody practiced only that, right, and sincerely that, and really kept choosing in favor of love, you would take you would end up at exactly the same place as the entire Course in Miracles wants to take you. It's that simple, but of course, it requires honesty and practice. Yes, practice, 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 every day, all day long. And the fact that there's a seemingly an endless amount of practice doesn't mean we're doing it wrong. It, it, it means that we're intent on liberating. And, yeah. you know, I, I, I kept getting the push from um, Spirit to bring up this topic today, which is about terrorism, because we've had a lot of terrorism in the news. And you have a wonderful section in your book called The End of Terrorism. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and you make a statement in there where you say um, that when we're no longer terrorized, that's what will bring the end of terrorism. That's not exactly what you said, but um, it's uh, terrorism will end when we refuse to be terrified. Yeah. Well, you know, the world we see is is really filtered by the thoughts we're using to see it. And, you know, as above, as above, so below, as inside, so outside. So on a very practical level, um, you know, nobody likes terrorism. Nobody's, everyone is disturbed by it, everybody I know at least. And so how do we end terrorism? Well, you know, if you feel terrified in any way, then you're contributing to terrorism. You're letting people terrorize you and you're terrorizing yourself. So you have to pluck these things out at the root level, which is always fear. So I wouldn't attempt to deal with terrorists until you and I have plucked fear and terror from our own hearts. And and, and then we become a, uh, we start functioning from a platform of wholeness and a platform of trust and a platform of connection. And the thing to remember is that anybody 
who commits any act of terror, whether it's child abuse or blowing up a, mm-hmm. uh, anything or shooting people in a mall, that person is disconnected from spirit. That person is tremendously unloved. That person is tremendously disempowered. And I promise you and all of our listeners that nobody who felt loved and empowered and heard and honored and whole would ever think about hurting anybody else. So the real end to terrorism is not handcuffing them or shooting them or to gun control, though gun control may have something to do with it. It's really about you know, teaching our children that they're loved and blessed and honored and, and important and seen and known and filling the gaping hole in their souls that would otherwise result in terrorism. And we have to do that from the inside out. We have to do it with ourselves before we can even do it with our kids or terrorists. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about this earlier today, Alan, because what you're saying, it's it's the clear truth of it. And the the practice of it is when we can look at where we are a terrorist in our own life, terrorizing ourselves, terrorizing our loved ones, and being willing to say in that moment, ah, how can I love this terrorist that I'm looking at right here, right now? Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I noticed that I used to scare myself a lot. Like, I would... I would I would set up these scenarios of bad things that could happen or what this person might say or how this might turn out. And I spent a lot of time exploring horrifying scenarios. And I realized that there was something about my mind that wanted to scare me. And I, I, one day I realized that I did it a lot. And I thought, okay, do you really need to keep scaring yourself, Alan? You know, are there other ways to get to the place you want to go to? And I started to notice on a daily basis what I would think or say or do that would scare me. And it was a lot. And so I began to gradually, slowly dismantle that. And I don't do it as much anymore. Sometimes it comes up, but I'm, I'm keen to it. So, you know, once again, we have to confront. We have to confront that voice of fear that's in everybody's head. We all have a terror, an inner terrorist. We have somebody inside us that's beating us up and tells us we're too stupid or too fat or too old or too poor or we screwed up our life or we never should have got married we never should have got divorced, blah, 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 blah. And that's the terrorist that you and I need to confront before we can think about people on the outside of us. And only when we've healed that... You know, there's a great story. Um, a woman came to Mahatma Gandhi with a seven-year-old boy, and she said, tell him to eat, quit eating sugar. And Gandhi said, well, we'll bring him back in a week. And so she brought him back in a week, and Gandhi said, quit eating sugar. <laughs> and she said, well, why didn't you tell him that last week? And Gandhi said, because a week ago I was still eating sugar. So, you know, we have to deal with the inner work before we can even begin to address the outer work. And it's tempting to think, well, if I just change the world, it'll be fine. But you have to change your mind before you can change the world. That's what the entire Course in Miracles is about. It really is. It really, really is. We're never, you know, as you, you, you know, in the early lessons, I'm never upset for the reason I think. And... Even when it comes to terrorism, I'm never upset for the reason I think. Yeah. I I had a friend um, who was living in Los Angeles when the Rodney King riots broke out many years ago. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. And, oh, yeah. Uh, and it was, it was chaos for a day or two there. And I, I talked to her on the phone. when She was in the midst of that area. So I said, what are you doing? She says, I'm just holding peace. I'm just holding the light. I'm just being peaceful. That's my contribution. I thought, well, that's a holy contribution. Just to not get get upset and go down the drain with everybody else, she was, she was providing a platform for healing that really was emanating and helping everybody she thought of and who looked upon her. So, you know, if you refuse to be terrified by scary news, you're, you're ahead of the game. You're actually making a contribution. Yeah, there's no, you know, there's empirical evidence about this. I remember years ago I wrote an article for Science of Mind magazine 
about nonviolence and the practice of it. And I interviewed Lynn McTaggart, who wrote The Field, and um, she told me about a study that was done in the Washington, D.C. area where a group of people, I I seem to remember maybe 2,000 people, agreed to meditate uh, something like an hour a day, I forget the exact details, for a month with the idea of their meditative practice would reduce the crime rate in Washington, D.C. And the um, chief of police said you know, the chances of that happening are about the same as the chances of it going to snow this July in Washington. And um, But you know what? There was a dramatic drop in yeah. the crime rate. It was like 25% for that yeah. time that the people were doing that. Yeah. And, and so and what the thing we can do, though, and this is why I love your book. It's so practical, is we can practice this in our own life. And right now is a time when a lot of people start to feel a lot of stress. So with the days uh, being darker and, and there's less sunlight, more darkness in a sense, and we have the stress sometimes of the weather, the winter weather, and all the extra demands of that, and then also the holidays, and also there's an examination that we all go through as we're turning that page on the calendar, December 31st to January 1st. How did I do this year? And uh, did this, this year improve the quality of my life or do I feel like a failure? So there are all these things that come to a head as we're moving towards the end of the calendar year. And it can create a lot of stress for people. Also, the uh, opportunity to be with family or not be with family. And some, a lot of times people die around the holidays. So there's just a lot of things that get stirred up. And... In the moment-by-moment daily practice of how can I be loving to myself and how can I surrender the judgments and the attack thoughts, the, the inner terrorist, and to really even look at things like you talk about in your book about um, tolerating a, a boss who's obnoxious to you or people who are unkind to you or demeaning with you are ways that we experience terrorism and how to have healthy, loving boundaries, as people say, while still being compassionate is a really big challenge for a lot of people. It certainly is. Uh, do you remember author Hugh, Hugh Prather, Jennifer? Oh, yeah. He was a wonderful author. He passed away a couple of years ago, but he made a big contribution. And he had a wonderful analogy. He said, imagine that the peace of God is like a little baby. And imagine that you were entrusted, you had your own little infant, or you were entrusted with the care of another infant, and you had to go into town, and you had to walk through town. And it said your first priority would be to take care of that baby. So let's say you're walking along the street and somebody honks a horn and you wouldn't drop the baby. Let's say somebody bumps into you or grabs the item you were going for and there's the last one on the shelf or somebody gives you the wrong change or somebody insults you. So in all those situations, you would not drop that baby in order to have an argument with the clerk. And he said, consider that when you go out in your day, whether even if it's out into your home, Consider that the peace of the God is like a tender, gentle baby that is your first priority to carry through that day no matter what happens. And if you can carry the peace of God through your day, I promise you, you will sleep well, you'll be happy and healthy, and no matter what happened in town, you will consider it a very, very good day. Oh, that is the wonderful. We can definitely take that with us. Thank you. Um, one of the things that uh, you have in your book is a, a some really practical application, and uh, especially working with distractions. And one of them is you talk about cultivating habits that truly make you feel 
good. And this time of year, sometimes it's when the darkness is up and the holidays are up and there's lots of partying going on, uh, there can be a real tendency to self-medicate and distract with self-medication. So what is some practical advice when that's coming up? My my partner Dee's father would had country wisdom. He says, "Nothing tastes as good as slim feels." <laughs> <laughs> and so we're not we're not really just talking about weight here. We're saying that there are things that give you a momentary rush and provide a momentary relief, but ultimately they don't feed your soul. Mm-hmm. And one of the lovely things about the course is it continually invites us to tell the truth about what really works and what really feels good. Um, A good example is um, many, many years ago, a student came to me. She said, I've been smoking pot every day for 10 years, and I try to quit many times, and I just haven't. And I said to her, well, you don't have to quit. And she said, what are you talking about? I said, let's give up your judgment on pot. Let's give up your resistance to it. I'm not saying you should smoke it, but let's let's put it aside as an issue for the moment. I said, what do you do that makes you feel even better than smoking pot? She said, I like to come to your classes, and I like to do the chorus, and I like to meditate and pray and sing. I said, okay, for the next month, focus on doing those things that make you feel even better and freer than smoking pot. And if you smoke pot, you smoke. If you don't, you don't. It's not an issue. But do those things that really take you to the place you want to go. She said, great, I'll try it. I saw her a couple months later. She said, you know, I stopped smoking pot. She said, I did what you did. I just focused on the things that really filled my soul at the deepest level, and I lost interest in smoking because smoking seemed heavy by contrast. So, you know, the course, as you know, is not about behavior management. It says this many times. It's not trying to dictate what you should do. What it's trying to dictate is how you should think and how you should feel and, you know, what, what you can cultivate inside you that takes you to a higher place. And when you're established in higher ground, anything that does not match your true joy, the true peace of God, will reveal itself as not belonging to you and fall away naturally. It does. It does. It's it's so powerful what you're saying, Alan, about not giving energy to the judgment of this is bad or this is good. Because it's really about how we hold it in our mind. And there's a reason why we choose to do things that we think are bad for us. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, let's, let's take it to another level even. The Course says... In the, in the teacher's manual, that it takes great learning to recognize that all experiences are helpful. I'm paraphrasing. Yep. And uh, so <laughs> many years ago, uh, uh, did you ever hear about the miracles of Garibandal, the visions of the, of the, the divine no. mother? That, oh, well, this is back in the 70s or 80s. There was a phenomenon in Garibandal, Spain. It was kind of like Fatima where these, these three innocent children were awakened in the night, every night, simultaneously at different times, but the, I mean, every night is a different time. And they would all show up at this glen outside the town, the little village, and Mother Mary would appear to them, and she would give them dictation and prophecies and blessings and healings. And it became a whole miracle scene. It was, it was pretty cool, I thought. Well, anyway, there was a guy in my town in New Jersey that was really a Catholic guy who was really into this, and he would go around and he would give presentations to show films and talk about it. It was a very uplifting evening. And I said to him, how'd you get into it? He says, well, you may be surprised to know that when I was a young man, I got into telling dirty jokes. And I, was a, I became an off-color comedian. And I was pretty shy until then, but then I, I got some attention. So I would go to men's clubs and dinners and I would tell these racy jokes and I'd get paid and got a lot of attention. He said, and then... You know, I discovered this miracle phenomenon. I got really into that, and that was a lot more fun, so I began speaking on that. And he said, retrospectively, I realized that my entire experience as a dirty comedian gave me the confidence and the public speaking skills and the energy (laughs) 
to know how to stand in front of people and give an interesting presentation, which I, I now apply. I get rid of the dirty joke deal, and now I'm just talking about these miracles. So even that, quote, dark uh, escapade was a preparation for serving spirit. So really, <laughs> ultimately, everything takes us, leads us to where we want to go. It is absolutely true. I know I have felt that in my life because uh, early in my life I got this message that if I could heal myself, I could help millions of people. And I, at the time, felt completely unworthy of that. So I said, no, I'm not interested in that. And uh, I, I, I wonder what would have happened if I had said, I have no idea how to do that. That sounds crazy, but I'm in. Show me how. But I didn't say that. And uh, then later, years later, many years later, when I was um, moving into going into ministerial school, having already become a science of mind practitioner, it was so clear to me that I had said no. Uh, my ego had said no, but in spirit, there was that yes was still there and it was still mm-hmm. operating. And uh, there is a plan or a pattern for our lives and to, to not judge it, to be able to just open our mind to the highest and best possibility of the pattern, which includes things like earthquakes and tsunamis and terrorism and to say, I really don't know what anything is for, yeah. but I, I'm interested in being the happy learner today. Yeah. And as you well know, one of the workbook lessons is um, all things are lessons God would have me learn. So mm-hmm. the question is, what can I learn from that act of terrorism I saw on TV? Or what can I learn from my divorce? Or what can I learn from that health challenge? And, you know, my belief is that once you extract the gift from it, and you move to a higher level of consciousness, there's no more need for that particular experience. Exactly. Exactly. And it it has served its purpose. We're accepting the healing that's encoded into it, the learning that's encoded into it. Well it do you have a, a favorite workbook lesson that really gets you through your day? Uh, many, but the two that come to mind when he asked me that are one is, I am sustained by the love of God. Mm. And it's like, you know, I think I'm just sustained by money or doctors or my business or my friends or my food. But really, um, it's the love of God that provides all good things that I need. And the other one I keep coming back to is I'm under no laws but God's. And I look at all the rules, too, which I think I'm subservient, and some of them match the real laws of God, and a lot of them don't. So I keep coming back and asking myself, is this a law of God, or is it a rule that people made up, and is it love-based or fear-based? So, goodness, you know, uh, there's so many lessons at Workbook, and I think, I'm going to do this lesson for the rest of my life, because it's, it's the best one ever. And then next day, there's <laughs> another one. So, you know, that's, you know, you said the course is work, but at some point, the work morphs into joy and it doesn't seem overwhelming or challenging it just seems like a huge celebration yeah it's uh, how about you what are your favorite lessons you know the ones I go back to all the time are uh, particularly I don't know what anything is for Uh I don't know what anything is for except everything works together for my good like you were saying uh, from the teacher's manual and so therefore I'm willing to accept the good in this and I, I stand in that 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 helps tremendously uh, for a long time it was extremely helpful to just say I'm never upset for the reason I think mm-hmm. and uh, I'm always upset when I have an opinion or a judgment is what I added to that and because uh, I used to be upset a lot I I was extremely judgmental extremely yeah. judgmental yeah. and yeah. so uh, was um, very very laborious for me to break that habit I still of course judgments come up every day and really? I notice it because the peace of God is now uh, I'm feeling irritated and so I can tell oh time to switch back into the peace of God and uh, relinquish my opinion or my judgment uh, those are the ones that really I oh and 
my favorite really is love holds no grievances. Yeah. yeah. And so, cause I was such a grudge holder and, uh, which I jokingly, uh, um, attribute to my Irish heritage. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which I've, I've made my favorite joke, Alan, uh, I've told it in Belfast and I've told it in Dublin and I got a big laugh in both places. And, um, but my favorite joke, I have no idea where I heard it from, but when you, uh, what do you get when you cross an Irishman with a gorilla? Let's hear. You get a gorilla who holds a grudge. So, <laughs> cause you take the dominant characters. Very good. Yeah. So, um, yeah, my, uh, great, Great grandparents came from Ireland, so that's that's what I. Uh, so, it, and there was a long time when I felt cursed by how judgmental I was, and then it flipped in my mind, and I realized, ah, this is my gift, because it's the pain that pushes me to yeah. choose to be the happy learner. Yeah, yeah, and the muscle you build by overcoming judgment takes you to a far deeper place than if it hadn't come up in the first place. And it makes you a good teacher to help people to give them some leverage to make their own, tra- their own transformation. Exactly. Exactly. You know, one of the things you bring up in your book, I think is a very helpful point. And uh, just before we, we wrap up here, um, when there are things like the, the recent, uh, extreme acts of terrorism that we've witnessed in the world, when there are things like that happening, there is a tendency for some Course in Miracles students to just go right to, well, it's, it's an illusion. So why, why be bothered by it? It's just an illusion. And in that, there can be just this cold, intellectual, unloving yeah, yeah. Stance. I wonder if you could just speak about that for a moment. Yeah, it, you know, it's a kind of Course in Miracles fundamentalism that is technically correct but not truly helpful. And I came up with this when I was in Japan, and I taught an ACIM course there, and somebody said, oh, we had another ACIM teacher come through here, and we asked her, how do we regard the tsunami and all the horrible deaths and destruction that came from the tsunami and the earthquake? She said, oh, it's an illusion. It doesn't really matter. And the person said, you know, I lost my family in that, in that illusion, and, and uh, it hurts. And the fact that it's not going to work to just say it's an illusion. And I said, well, ultimately what the teacher said was true. However, there's another level, and that's compassion. And I said, you can remember that ultimately everyone who passed on went back to spirit. But in the meantime, there are people who are cold and hungry and homeless up there. So you can help by donating money or going up there and cooking for somebody or taking somebody into your house or, you know, there are ways that we can help on the earth plane even before we've all figured out that it's an illusion. So you need to work on all levels simultaneously to be a good course student. If you forget about the fact that it's an illusion, you're steeped in drama. And if you call it only illusion, you haven't mastered the, the ability to help on earth. So a masterful course in student, course students knows, has to mer- knows how to merge those two energies and work simultaneously, spiritually and practically. Yeah, it's, it's so true and very helpful. And uh, you have a section in your book on that. And it's a common thing that comes up for course and students. So I'm, I'm glad we got to bring that up because it's just it's not compassionate to say to somebody oh yeah that's just an illusion it uh and and i I even make the point of the book that the entire writing of a course in miracles was an act of compassion jesus could have sat in his high heaven at the right hand of god and said let those poor (laughs) suckers figure it out you know but he made the effort to reach into the world and dictate this course and helen and bill and you know brought it through and so just the giving of the course in a form that people could work with was an act of compassion to help people who were still struggling in the illusion from within the illusion. Well said. Beautifully said. Well, we're at time here. I would like to let everybody know that uh, we're, we've been talking about Alan Cohen's 
new book, A Course in Miracles Made Easy, Mastering the Journey from Fear to Love. It's out now, just came out uh, at the end of October. And uh, also, I'd like you to know, if you don't already know, that Alan offers uh, wonderful um, spiritual coaching, life coaching training, and many other things. Do you want to say anything about that, Alan? Yeah, I, I, my latest thing of a lot of fun and, and depth is I teach people to become life coaches, either professionally or informally. And we have a six-month program that runs very deep. It's limited to 16 students, and it's a wonderful way to truly be helpful, either as a coach or in your other profession, and also deeply, deeply, deeply connect you with anybody here trying to help in any way. So we run this course a couple times a year. The next time starts in the beginning of January 2016. We have one or two spaces open, so if anybody's interested, I invite you to go to my website, alancohen.com, and there's an icon there that will take you to it. Yes, and I also am going to mention at jenniferhadley.com, I have a number of free classes there that people can always go and get. There's How to Get Over It, my free forgiveness workshop. I just did one on uh, Living Without Fear and another one, How to Have a Positive Experience in Your Family. So these are available now on the events page at jenniferhadley.com, plus Alan and I both participated in a free class series called How to Stop Playing Small, Stop Playing Small for Light Workers. And Alan did a beautiful class in that, extremely inspiring, particularly for light workers, but also for Course in Miracles students or anyone interested in walking the talk. So you can get those details at jenniferhadley.com. That's the Stop Playing Small series. And we're going to say a prayer here. Thank you, Alan. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's always a delight to play with you, my dear. (laughs) Yes, it's mutual. And so I invite everyone to place their hand on their heart. We're giving thanks for the love of God leading us in every moment of every day. We continue to partner up with the higher Holy Spirit self and to surrender that which no longer serves our life of love. We're grateful and thankful to share the benefits of our compassion, our healing with everyone because we're one with them. In gratitude, we let it be. And so it is. Amen. And so it is. Amen. Thank you again, Alan. Have a great week, everybody.